are listening to The Currency Welcome. I'm your host, Mike Gaston. I'm a brand and marketing strategist, and this podcast is all about private industry in America. We tell the story of private business and the value that it brings our society. So today, my guest is Rob Eklund. He's the president of a company called Stoner Incorporated, located in Quarryville, Pennsylvania. Uh, Rob, welcome so much to The Currency. Thank you, Mike. Looking yeah. forward to it. This this will be fun. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for joining me today, Rob. I'm I'm really thrilled to have you on. Uh, I've been you know kind of impressed. At, I think of entrepreneurs sometimes, and I've been an entrepreneur. I, I guess I am at different stages. You, you realize there's this. Um, I'll call it shiny thing syndrome. Now, I'm not accusing you of this. I think you've actually taken this and done it successfully. But for me, I get interested. I jump from thing to thing. Oh, I've got a business now. I'm not interested in that anymore. I want to do something different. You've accomplished something different here. You've taken a bunch of different things that you're interested in, and, and uh, by all accounts, they're very successful. I, I, and we'll talk about what these different things are, but I look at Stoner, a really impressive manufacturing company with some nationally recognized brands. Uh, you are also a race car driver. We'll talk a little bit about that. You're uh, heavily involved in real estate development. You even have a company that uh, renovates and restores classic cars. So uh, do me a favor. Tell us a little bit about Stoner, and let's have a discussion about all the things that you're doing sure. and, and uh, where that's taking you. Well, thanks for that. Yeah, I, I, um, I've been fortunate to kind of follow my passions, and my passions are entrepreneurial businesses, privately held businesses. Um, we can get into some, some story with Stoner, but that was, that, that, that's what really gave me my start. It was founded by my grandfather, and we transitioned that business way back in the mid-1980s on a buy-sell agreement. Um, it's a company I knew. I'd worked there as a, as a child up, up through till I ended up um, transitioning that to uh, ownership sure. um, back in 1986 or 87. And from that, it's been a great platform. We've been able to grow that business over the years. Um, I, I, it's manufacturing. It's it's chemical formulating. Um, I, I I like manufacturing businesses, but I like, I like a lot of businesses. So I've been able to kind of pursue some of my passions. Um, from there, I got involved and started Eklund Development, which we own and operate historic real estate here in downtown Lancaster. Um, you mentioned the uh, the horsepower business, which is classic car restoration, a business that uh, there's a story behind all of these. I did not start that one. I ended up purchasing that one maybe five years ago now. But that's a passion of cars that, that I've had since I was a child. And then my racing, which is uh, it's really a hobby, but it's a little more serious than that for me and, and where I am in the series at this point. I like to think that we get branding value out of the racing and, and I get to drive. So I'm trying to, I'm getting the best of both worlds so there. Your company is sponsoring, sponsoring cars. They're wrapped with your brands. Right. Yeah. Part of Stoner Incorporated is, is what we call the consumer side. And we have some national brands that we, uh, we sell and, and we have those national brands on the side of the race car. We've, we've branded the race team sure. and so forth. Yes. And you're in the, the IMSA series. Yes. And that's, is that part of NASCAR IMSA? Well, it's part of the, family that owns nascar okay. so so nascar is the answer to oval racing it's okay. been very successful and imps is the answer to what we call road course racing in america which yeah. is multi-turn multi-level tracks such sure. as classics like watkins Glen track yeah uh it's a national series uh, that that uh, that they own and and we drive in sure. the series well, we'll get into some of these, I think, as we have our discussion, but tell us a little bit about Stoner. I think that sounds like the kind of the main business that you're 
you got your start in, in kind of the core of your uh, focus. Yes. And you mentioned chemical formulating. I, I, I refer to it as manufacturing. I understand there are two sides of the business. Tell us a little bit, like, first of all, you know, how, how, how big is it? How many employees do you have? Yes. Um, yeah. And maybe a little bit around some of these brands and products that you offer. Yeah. And, and, and let me just go back a little bit to the founding of Stoner sure. because it, it's uh, started by my grandfather, Paul Stoner. And, and to answer the earlier question, we're 85 employees now. We have a manufacturing facility here in Lancaster County and a worldwide distribution facility here in Lancaster County. And we do sell our products worldwide. Um, my grandfather, Paul Stoner, started the business way back in the 1940s, and uh, it was started with printing inks, and it was Stoner's, with apostrophe, I-N-K company. Uh, he was a chemist degreed out of Franklin Marshall Local College here, uh, worked for a couple of businesses outside of Lancaster uh, before he came back to Quarryville, his hometown, to, st- to start Stoner's Ink Company, um, and Made printing inks maybe up until the early 70s. I remember a little bit of it as a kid. I started working there literally in the 60s. Most summers actually growing up, uh, I spent between the stoner business and my other grandparent, Eklund, my last name, who were farmers here in the area. So Paul was your mother's father. Paul was my mother's father, and my mother was only child, and we ended up transitioning this business to third generation. Okay. Paul quickly got into some chemistry that we still uh, deal with today, and, and one of those are uh, area called mold release agents. And people say, well, what's mold release agent? It's uh, industrial Pam cook- cooking spray. These are anti-stick <laughs> compounds that okay. we sell into the molding industry, plastic molding, urethane molding, composite molding that goes on a mold, helps a part flow in, form, and release, hence mm-hmm. called release agents. Mm-hmm. And Paul, my grandfather, got into that business right after World War II when they were trying. He had a, a neighboring uh, business associate who was retreading tires, which was rubber shortage World War II, so they started okay. retreading tires. And that was a very hot, sticky process, and the tires would get stuck in the mold. Okay. So Paul formulated a mold release compound, and uh, we still have some of those in our portfolio today. But but today, Stoner is is 60% industrial, which is led by the mold release agents, and about 40% consumer, which is led by one of our key brands, Invisible Glass, and some other brands, Stoner Car Care, Motzenbacher, and, and a few others. And invisible glass. I think that's how I first found your company because I, you know, I, I think when I turned forty, I bought. I, I, so I had an old BMW years ago in my twenties, but I, when I turned forty, I bought a new BMW or leased it. And I remember going to, uh, I remember going to the car care. You know, I don't know if it was AutoZone or where it was, but buying stuff because every Saturday I love. And that car was black, so as soon as you cleaned it, it was dirty. Right. But I love cleaning that car on Saturdays. And I remember finding this invisible glass, and I thought this is just the greatest stuff. And I had no idea about your company or, or that type of thing, but uh, but that's one of your leading consumer brands is Invisible Glass. It is our leading consumer okay. brand. It's sold uh, uh, throughout North America. You can find it in any major retailer, uh, typically in the automotive section, although we have crossed some of that over into household as well, okay. like Home Depot, for, sure. for an example. Um, that. That product spun out of some detailing products. We have a professional detailing product portfolio, which came from my grandfather, Paul uh, Stoner. Um, so it's a legacy business. Mm-hmm. And maybe 15 years ago, we said, you know, we get so much good feedback on the professional side of these products. What if we took them over and made them consumer ready? So that's mm-hmm. how we got into the consumer markets. Okay. 
Now, you've owned the company, you said transition in the 80s. So you've been working in it since you were a kid. Yes. And then at some point uh, took took control of the business as an owner. That yes. was how many years ago? If it was yes. the 80s, that's got to be. So, yeah. So, you know, the, the, all, of, all of us entrepreneurs and business owners have, have stories. When I came into the business, I came out of college in 1983. I also have a chemistry degree background. And uh, my grandfather's health was not the best. It was it was failing. Um, the business was not even incorporated at the time. It was still a proprietorship. It was he, really? he and my grandmother. Yeah. What, wait a minute. I just I have to stop you there. Right. So he started the business in the 40s and yes. ran it for 40 some odd years as a sole proprietor. Yes. Goodness gracious. Yes, I know. And, and, uh, and, and as I learned about just the legal ramifications, my mind, liability swim, and especially I, chemistry and structure. And uh, <laughs> sure. I mean, it's, uh, it was, it was, you kind of scratch your head, but anyway, it was. And, and the first thing that, that really I did now, now he had a good accountant that, that kind of led us through incorporating the business and we set up, uh, buy sell agreements and my grandfather passed away in uh, we, we did this in 1983, 1984, and we changed okay. the name to Stoner Incorporated. So not a big name change. Dropped the apostrophe S. Um, incorporated the business. Uh, Paul had 66 percent. My grandmother Lottie was her name. Had 33 percent. Okay. Paul passes away in 1986 or seven, and I do. I have the uh, uh, the buy sell, so I buy his 66 okay. percent, which. He and my grand, now my grandmother, financed for ten years. So I paid sure. her for ten years. Sure. And then in 1996, I bought her thirty-three um, percent out, okay. a little more money at that point, and paid her out the next fifteen years. So company grew in value, I would assume. It, company grew yeah. in value, correct? Yeah. 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 So okay. when I came into the business, the company was financially stable, but because of my grandfather's age and, and not that old, actually died in seventy-two, but uh, his failing health. There was no active sales force, no active product development. Uh, it was basically manufacturing and shipping and keeping the current customers um, whole or, or happy, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Now, reading up on Paul on the website, uh, you know, this is, a, this is a guy who grew up on the farm, essentially. Right. I understand he was orphaned. Yeah, at um, a young age, yes. Went through college, got his degree in chemistry. But I, what I kind of take away is that he, this... This is a guy who wasn't afraid to knock on a door, good handshake, you know, like did business on a handshake. Yes. And very quick to put the customer first and just say, well, I can fix that. If there's a problem, I can fix it. And that's where a lot of the development came from was him just kind of seeing an opp- or a need or an opportunity and going back to the, the garage and trying to figure out, well, how do I formulate Yes. A product. Is yes. that accurate? Very accurate, Mike. And I think really if, if, you, if Paul were here today, his, his passion was really product development. He'd like to engage with the customer and when they've got this issue, hey, I, th- I, can, I can figure that out or fix that. I think running the business for him was a necessary. It wasn't something I, that, that I saw him where he was really engaged in running the business, but, but the product development, the trade shows, um, they didn't fly at the time. I don't know why, but they they get in their big Lincoln and they drive across the country making their sales calls. And I say they because my grandmother would join do it and do their trade shows and so forth. But that's how he went to market. Now, in, in he did hire some sales. He did have one direct salesperson and worked okay. through a lot of reps is how he, he took the product uh, okay. to market. So when you took on the business, I mean, I, you know, obviously didn't, uh, you know, see the facility then and everything, but it sounds like it was a mom and pop business in a way. I mean, the way you're describing it, I could have, I know financially where it was at, but what did you do to take the business forward? Hmm. Because obviously 
yeah. sitting with you, you strike me as more an entrepreneur. You know, you're fascinated by business. There's a competitive. Right. I'm going to infer just the fact that you race cars. Right. You're a little competitive. Right. Even if you're competing against yourself. Right. So what were some of the things that you focused yeah. on to take the company forward? Well, I think the first thing, and it's still a, it's still one of our, uh, our values today, is how do we grow the business? Uh, the business was, was flat stagnant, if you will, financially, a good base. So solid. So, solid financially. Um, so first thing I did is I hired outside salesperson. Uh, next thing I did is started bringing, I, we, we brought in part-time chemists to start some of the product development and just kind of step-by-step step started putting pieces of those puzzles in place. I remember bringing in the first computer system in 1986 and I just about got kicked out of the office by my grandmother because (laughs) no way this was going to happen, right, in terms of bringing a computer system in. But uh, we did that and and started to, uh, you know, computerize and bring process to the the business. Um, I... I still do, but of course I've got other responsibilities now, but I ate, slept and, you know, I just, it was all consuming for me sure. and I enjoyed every minute of it. And, 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 and I still do quite, um, in a lot of different ways, but it's totally different business now. What's different about it? Well, it's just different in terms of size, um, scale, uh, scope. Um, we're, we're selling internationally now and, um, um, we're still formulating and, and manufacturing all of our aerosols and our non-aerosol, what we call trigger bottles, but we, we subcontract out a lot of other packaging, wet wipes, for an example, or, or uh, wax mold release products. So okay. it's, it, it has, it's got a lot more tentacles, and, uh, um, but, but still the foundation and, and the platforms are very similar. When your grandfather was running the business, did they have a consumer product or was it all B2B at that point? Good question. And he did have a consumer product. He had Glass Glow at the time. Glass Glow. Uh, right. So it was always a name we were thinking about bringing back, but someone has taken that what, name. What is that? What was that product? There was a glass cleaner. Okay. It uh, wasn't quite what we have today with Invisible Glass. And Invisible Glass is clear, cut, colorless, uh, no soap, scents, or dyes. Right. And, and that's what is the magic of that formula where you clean the glass and you don't leave anything behind. So you really right. get this clear glass. Glass Glow had a, had some um, dye in it okay. and, and so forth, but okay. it's a good product. But it, uh, yeah, he... Um, he he um, he had that, and then more in the detailing area of, on the what I call the professional detailing side. Sure. He had, an, had a, a base of business. So at the time that you took over the business, I'm just trying to get my mind a little bit around you know what's transpired. How many employees were in the company when you when you took over the 66 percent? Not when you had total ownership, right. but just leadership of the business. Right, they're probably in the 30s, okay. and, and it was all manufacturing and shipping because right. we had maybe uh, two or three in the office, and and that was about it. Sure. Um, as the business has grown and, and, and we've used, um, we brought technology and our manufacturing has probably has less employees now than it did in 1986 doing yeah. uh, 10, 15 times the volume. So, yeah. So even if you look at headcount, headcount's trebled, let's say, but that doesn't necessarily track because you get so many efficiencies with correct. the manufacturing process. Correct. So the company's obviously grown significantly more than... The headcount. It, it, yeah. and, and the company's grown um, what I call the front office, if you will. Sure. Right? So sales, marketing, product development. Finance and all that. Fi- yeah. Finance, IT. IT, yeah. Right. So, so we have more employees now, but, but probably the same or less in the, in the sure. core manufacturing. Sure. I think, you know, we'll g- maybe get to some of this, um, the challenges around scaling and growing in a second. I'm just curious about you, uh, 
going to college, getting out of school, you've got this family business that you've been a part of. Was there a moment where you're like, I know I love entrepreneurship. Uh, and the reason I ask is there are a number yeah. of like multi-generational business owners I talked to that just kind of evolved into it. It, it wasn't even something they didn't consider. Just, I'm going to follow in my dad's footsteps. I, uh, yeah, I literally knew it from a kid I wasn't going to work for anybody. Now, where that came from, I don't exactly know. But I think some of that came from Paul Stoner. Okay. I think some of that came from my dad, who had a very successful corporate career with Corning Glass at the time, Corning Incorporated. Um, I was I, 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 I liked my independence. Um, I liked the creativity. I liked the strategy. I was more mowing lawns and had a lawn business through high school than I was playing sports. Okay. Uh, in fact, I didn't play any sports. You know, I was always interested in um, uh, being in that world of if I if I can create value on my side and you pay me on your side and I make profit in the meantime, I think this is a beautiful thing. Everybody's good. It, yeah. yeah, it's and everybody's happy. Yeah. And um, I experienced that from a young age and. I think, you know, there was no way I was going to work for anybody. Now, I didn't, I didn't know until college that I was actually going to come into the business. Okay. Uh, my grandfather and I had some discussions in college as his uh, health was failing. And he said, you know, you really ought to consider coming into the business. And I'm like, hmm. Because up until my sophomore year, I was going to be a doctor. That, oh, that was okay. kind of what I was thinking. That uh, you're going to go pre-med and then yes, med school. Yes, huh? and I tell you what, Mike, I'm so glad that you know, <laughs> this, things work out for a reason, right? And, yeah. and uh, um, it was good. It was time, good timing on on where I was in my college career, and Paul and I talking, and then I just made a shift. Okay, never looked back. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's awesome. It's it's fascinating to me. Everybody goes through different steps or processes. Some people, you know, I've spoken to, I never wanted to be in business for myself, but here I am and I'm happy. Right. Other people I knew from day one. And it's interesting when you say, uh, I knew I didn't want to work for anyone. I, I had that same kind of experience, but I, I, it, for me, I struggled to connect that to, I should be an entrepreneur. Like I, I knew I was frustrated work, working for people. So I often found myself as a young guy in sales positions because at least there I had autonomy and you'd pay me based on my performance. If I, if I created wealth, I got a good piece of that. Right. The idea of just working for a, a wage, you know, set hours and here's your money. Just I couldn't. It, it was just so demotivating to me. Right. right. And it's not all about the money. It was just like I, I want to put in some effort and get something out of it. But well, when I came into Stoner, it was it was uh, part of a plan and, and um, um, it was not organized. We, we talked about that. We got everything organized. And then my grandfather uh, passed earlier than I think any of us either intended or okay. wanted to. And next thing I know, I'm president of the company. Yeah. I knew all the people, uh, but I know they're looking at me like, what's this 24, five-year-old uh, doing in, my, in, in Paul's desk? And, yeah. and uh, if you really got to build credibility, but, but in the same, in, in, in that sense, I never, I never was worried or scared or doubted that I was able to do what we have been, all, did then and, and are doing now. It's, mm -hmm. it's a strange thing. I mean, you always... I mean, you always had bad days, bad weeks, whatever. Um, oh, I've never had a bad right, day. Right, right. We, we all go through a little <laughs> self-doubt every Rob. now and then. And, and I, 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 I don't want to sound overconfident with it, but, uh, but I, I always, if I have a bad, a bad day, week, or whatever, I always just kind of sit back and take perspective is, I, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. It took me a few years, 
decades to figure that out, but right. I, I know that now. When, like, um, at what point, I appreciate you saying that, at what point did you kind of wake up and say, okay, I, I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to do? Like, what age, maybe I, not the year, I, but just... I, yeah, I, I think uh, it's probably only been within the last 10 or 15 years, so okay. I'm 58, so I'm okay. going to say maybe sometime in my 40s okay. where I started thinking... Because well, you know, what's your purpose in life? Are you, are you pursuing your purpose? Are you passionate about it? And uh, I started thinking, you know, I, 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 I'm, I, I am doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be out there fighting the good fight in the world of entrepreneurship and privately held business and, and providing all this opportunity to the people that chose, choose to work with us and, and the support that we give to their families, community, et cetera. And, and I enjoy that mm. um, I, as much as I enjoy building the business and, 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 and living off the fruits of that, of, of what you build. Sure. So what I'm hearing you say is the purpose isn't necessarily to, to be an entrepreneur and just to be successful and win. Although it sounds like you're motivated, you're competitive in a sense, the purpose is to do something of significance that provides opportunity for others, that gives back. I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I would say that. I, w- I would say, I mean, you've got to win. And, and the purpose of an entrepreneur or a successful business owner, any business, is you have to make money. Uh, and, and the more profit you make, the better it is for all, whether mm-hmm. it's yourself, the people that are there, or the community that you serve. So, um, uh, so, so step one is, you know, we've got to be successful as the nuts and bolts of yeah. bringing in sales and bringing in profit, right? right. And, then, and, then, and then beyond that is... is how you how hopefully well you do it and the culture you build and the people that have decided to to ride this train with you are enjoying it as much as you do sure right tell me a little bit what does that look like in your business so talk about the culture piece so you you spend the first x years just getting your arms around the business you're a young guy you're driving it forward it's growing you're seeing fruit success and now we're at this point in our discussion, we were talking about you, you're building a culture, creating um, a kind of deeper business for people to do their do good work and benefit right. from it. So what does that look like at Stoner? Well, it, it, it's um, I think initially it was just all about, hey, he's a pretty good guy, comes from a pretty good family. And I liked his grandfather. But, you know, we try to we try to put some understanding around that. So in the last several years, if, if like our face to the world is formulating excellence and you, you know, formulating excellence. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can mean a lot of things, but, uh, it's, we're a chemical formulator. We try to be on top of our game. We try to offer good value, et cetera. But internally for stoner, it's, it's uh, serve, learn and grow, mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of our mantra, bit of a vision if, if you want to call it that. And, and we talk about what it is to serve, to serve each other, serve our customers, we want to offer more value to each other than, you know, necessarily ourselves, right? Sure. That's part of the serving. And, of course, the learning is being a learning organization. We always are trying to strive to be a, 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 a every day a little bit up, we call it. Yeah. Improvement. And then, of course, the grow is, is I mean, that's, I'm a huge believer. You have to grow the pie because if you don't grow the pie, you're not creating opportunity for 
really anybody who participates in your in your in your business. Sure. So I I'll I'll play the this is tongue in cheek for listeners' sake, but I'll say, well, if you're growing the pie, doesn't that mean that somebody else? Aren't you taking pie away from someone else if your pie is getting bigger? No. <laughs> yeah, that's socialism, Mike. Yeah. No, I you know growing the pie. I, I well, we can get into the philosophy of the of the, of the virtuousness of a of a of a business. I, I we can. I mean, I can make points that I don't think societies even exist without somebody making a profit, right? right. And when you make a profit is you have to grow the pie. And the pies are always growing because humans are, are, are always innovating. They're always figuring out the next challenge, and they will always do that. That's the beauty of what we have in our, in our brains and our minds. So the pie will always be growing. It's just uh, are you able to, to do that, and, and are people able to um, enjoy the the enjoy the fruits of that. And that goes back to your idea of, of, um, being successful. You've got to be profitable. You have to be successful. You, you have to make money, You do, but you do that so that there's an opportunity for everybody. And that that's the opportunities for the owner who takes risks, executives that, that help lead the company and people all the way down to the line and the janitors, right. there's an opportunity for everybody right. to benefit. Right. So part of our, part of our, uh, culture building, if you will, is we came up with an acronym years ago, P.H. Uh, Stoner. So those are the initials of my grandfather. Paul, it was Paul Hurst Stoner. And uh, I'm not going to go down all of them, but, but, but P stands for process because we try to run good processes in the business. Uh, H stands for hi- uh, historical uh, uh, legacy. So, mm-hmm. so we want to remember our past because we sure. think our, the, it's that's part of our culture. It's also part of our future. E is for entrepre- entrepreneurial. Um, um, we call it the big E in the business. As 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 we get larger and, and maybe more process, we never want to forget that we're entrepreneurs, and 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 it's it's the entrepreneurial energy that kind of drives all Absolutely. that. Uh, o, o is organizational excellence. So we, we've kind of codified some of these values around some easy acronym to remember and that's just part of of how we go forward building that culture so it sounds like when you first took over your grandfather passed away prematurely sounds like he was uh really respected and loved in the business people are looking and saying okay this like i know this kid but like you know he's sitting in paul's desk okay fast forward all these years um i'm inferring from you that that paul's legacy is important so that it's not all about a museum. I, uh, Stoner is a dynamic, growing company. Right. You've made your mark, but uh, it sounds like you've tried to also balance that with the historical legacy. What's a little bit of that legacy that, that Paul uh, left that you've valued to make sure that's part of the company today? Well, cu- customers, uh, and pe- people and customers. So yeah, we can't do business without people, whether it's the people we work with or the customers that sure. decide to buy from that, from us. And uh, I remember as, as a little kid, I would ask my grandfather, well, you don't have a boss. I mean, who's your boss? And he was quick to say, well, customer's my boss, because <laughs> if I don't have customers paying me what we do, I'm, I'm not going to yeah. be here. I'm not going to be doing what I do. So he was very customer centered and, and we continue to, I think, be that way today. Um, he was very inquisitive. He's very creative. Um, uh, he's very kind, uh, very patient, actually. And uh, I, I think, you know, we, we can see that in the organization. You've yeah. endeavored to keep that. What, we what's do. one element that you would say you've brought to the company? And I know often owners don't want to sit into, well, I brought this or that. But yeah. just what's one, maybe a better way to ask is what's one element that's been important to you that you want to see added to the company? Well, I think, well, back then it was how we organized for the growth. And actually that's not any different today, Mike, is, is, uh, my aspirations are always just 
big. I, you know, I don't know why. I like to I like to think in terms of big, and I probably set goals that are too big, you know, and, and so forth and so on. But I think that we just have a lot to offer as a company, and uh, not only to our customers, but the new customers we can we can get into the future. And we have a lot of opportunity where we can go with a company and grow with a company. And I think that's what I bring. I think I bring a high level of energy and strategy to the business that, quite honestly, Paul didn't. Sure, he was he was content to be at his size as an entrepreneurial. Uh, own business and everything was kind of comfortable and and um, and so forth. But but I kind of blew that up, you know, when I came in. My guest today is Rob Eklund Jr. He's the president of Stoner Incorporated, as well as a number of other interests. We'll be right back in just a minute. But before we break, I want to encourage you to check out Rob's company. Specifically, check out the brand Invisible Glass. Uh, this is this glass cleaner we mentioned. You just go to that website. It's invisibleglass.com. I'll put a link in the show notes and uh, check it out. It's maybe a product that you have in a cupboard in your house right now and use it regularly. But uh, folks, stick around. We'll take a quick break and be back with more with our friend Rob Eklund. Guys, I hope you're enjoying today's show. I've got to tell you, I really love putting this podcast together. There's something really special about meeting these business owners, hearing their stories, and then getting those stories out to you, the community that makes up the currency. Thank you so much for being a listener. Thank you for helping me make this podcast so successful. Now, look, if you are a business owner and you're trying to scale your business, you're trying to grow, maybe introduce new products, maybe capture new markets, or just capture more share in your existing market, I'd love for you to get in touch. I'd love to help you. You know, I'm a brand and marketing strategist. I help the owners of private businesses transform their marketing from an overhead function, something that costs them money, to a revenue generating machine, something that brings money into the business. Every dollar you spend should generate exponential return. And so I love working with folks that own businesses to help them do that transformation. If that's something you think you could use some help with, let's at least have a discussion. Get in touch. Like I said, my email address is mike at mikegaston.com. You can also go to my website, mikegaston.com. There's a contact form there, but get in touch and let's get a discussion started. Now, guys, let's get back to today's show. And we're back. Thanks for joining me. I'm Mike Gaston. You're listening to The Currency. Our guest today is Rob Eklund Jr. He's the president of Stoner Incorporated. Rob, welcome back. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, it's a great conversation. Um, you know, at the open, when I introduced you, I was kind of, you know, taking a, a shot at myself, that entrepreneur with the, the shiny syndrome, and really just saying, like, I've kind of bounced from thing to thing. I've always found something fascinating, jumped into something else. But I was, I was kind of relating to the fact that you have a number of interests. We've been talking about Stoner and uh, the chemical formulating and manufacturing, the brands, but you have some other interests, real estate, uh, the, the um, company where you're re, re, uh, restoring cars. Right. So d- I guess we could talk about those businesses, but I'm, I'm really interested, like what drives you, because usually one business is enough. Hmm. What drives you to have these different interests and how do you, how do you spread? How do you do those things? Right. That's a good question, Mike. I, you know, I, I will, I mean, I could be shy. I could have the shiny syndrome as well. I, I, I really, uh, I, I love strategy, but I can be pulled by opportunity and I'm always uh, challenging myself between that opportunity, strategic fine line, if you will, because okay. strategy doesn't happen without opportunity, That's but right. you know, you can follow opportunity and not have strategy. Right. So 
try to balance that. I think for me, uh, sometimes I think I'm, uh, you know, maybe just lazy because I love to delegate. Part of delegating is, is, is people and developing people. And I, I, I like that. I don't know that I'm great at it, but I like to see it. So the first thing I always think about, like when I was building Stoner and until to this day is who are the key people and what key people do we need? And, and, uh, what can I get off my list? Right. So, <laughs> okay. uh, I'm always thinking like, what can I get off my list? Cause if I don't get things off my list, I'm not growing as a person and they're not growing either. Right. Sure. So we all have to get things off our list. And then you're a bottleneck the in the business too, right? Cause then everything's on your can, plate if you don't can be, it off. can yeah. be. And, and I do find that people, um, are, af- a lot of times are afraid to give up their, uh, some of their tasks, uh, because they think they're going to work they're, that they're going to work themselves out of a job or they're not going to be important or whatever. And it's really the exact opposite. So it's a kind of a philosophical people development discussion. But anyway, I enjoy that. So I enjoy bringing in the people and looking at what they can do that I can't. And then what I then I can fill that with some things that I like to do and uh and um, a little bit of ants in my pants. I maybe jump around a little bit. Um, I but I enjoy that. I don't. You know, if you ask my people what they think of that, you might get a <laughs> you might you might get a mixed response. Okay. But I had a, I had an interest in in Lancaster, the city uh, where I live. I just live on the outside of the city. It's a it's a pretty small town here in Pennsylvania, and. Um, I don't know. I've had my my dad invested in real estate. Maybe I got some of that um, growing up. Um, but I started investing, and I like the historic real estate here in downtown Lancaster. Sure. And I, we like to renovate it. We like to bring it back to life. We're sitting right now in one of the key buildings. It's the Grice Building. It is. Yeah, in nineteen twenty-five uh, landmark was was the tallest building until the Marriott went up across the the block here, or across the square, I should say. But you know, it, uh, the Grice Building in '25 was one of the first buildings to utilize concrete and steel structures. So wow. you know, there's all okay. these tidbits you pick up. I find them kind of interesting. But at the end of that, we bring vibrancy and life back to to a town of Lancaster, and I've been involved with that. Uh, probably since the early 90s, I've helped write uh, two strategic plans for the city. Um, I'm, I'm not doing that as much anymore, just kind of doing what we do here well, which is um, redevelop downtowns is our is our tagline for Eklund. Um, and uh, continue to look at that. And, and now that uh, we're building a staff, I've got my oldest daughter running it. We're looking at other towns we might be able to duplicate this in. So okay. just like Stoner, where I'm like, what, where can we grow next? Here, where can we grow next? For so, Eklund development. For Eklund development. Yeah. 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 So I'd love I'd love to do this in some neighboring PA towns. We not quite there, but we've been kicking that around. Very interesting. Yeah. So you know, I would joke, uh, I have that shiny syndrome, but if you look at the the trail behind me, maybe not as impressive, but you know, from the outside looking in, the things that you've tackled have done very well. So clearly you're bringing something to the table. That um, I mean, you you might follow yourself say, yeah, I might be a little lazy, I might be easily distracted, but you're doing a great job with these things. Well, thanks for saying. That. I, I I think for the most part you're right, and uh, um, but I'm I'm always uh, what, what what can I be doing better? How can I be smarter? How can I be learning more? Um, I just I keep. I, I just keep looking at those next opportunities, sure. hopefully within a strategic framework, right? Is how I like to 
position so it. I'll put you on the spot, and you, you, if you don't want to answer, just let me know. But would you share a failure? Have you, have you had a business failure that you're willing to say, hey, I'll put this on the table? This oh, is what yes. It yes. just crashed and burned. The problem is I have some failures I just don't get rid of, right? So we, 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 <laughs> we, have, a, a, you know, we have some retail stores here in downtown, and uh, you know, they're, they're fine, but they're tough to grow and so okay. forth. Uh, I've got an interest in a, um, a machine shop in upstate New York in, Cor- in Elmira, actually. Okay, sure. And you may or may not know of that one. And again, it's a just, you know, we grind that business. It, it, it's it's very hard to grow. Um, but I feel dedicated to the people that work there. And, um, you know, we're always kind of scratching and clawing. Mm-hmm. Some of these businesses, I guess what I'm saying, just aren't scalable. Okay. But I got in them. And I want to be responsible for them. Hmm. And uh, maybe it'll take the next generation to say, what the heck was he doing? Yeah. <laughs> well, let's spin <laughs> and, this thing and, off. Yeah, or... I mean, what is he doing? You know, knocking his head against the wall. But And the, the classic car restoration. I mean, I love that business because it's like an automotive museum in there. And um, I have my second daughter running that now. That's called, um, what's the name of that? Horsepower, Horsepower. Enterprises. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, but that business, you cannot scale that business. And, yeah. um, do you yeah. mind just describing, cause I think people here at classic car restoration is like, Oh, am I bringing in my Chevy Impala? But you're, you're doing some exotic, like old exotic cars. Well, award-winning, uh, uh restorations were for people who are, uh, on what we call the serious show circuit. And they're, they're showing at, uh, Concours events across the U S and, and taking these cars. So we, we've, uh, we've had some out there. Um, no best of shows yet, but we've had some best of in, best interiors and different awards that they have picked up. Um, so yes, um, it, the, the restorations we do are pretty pricey, mm-hmm. fairly unique cars, not completely, well, they're, they're fairly unique cars. If you're going to spend the money you need to spend to do it, to do a restoration, sure. but we also maintain classic cars. So that's part of the business as well. And then we can sign and sell classic okay. cars. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. But you're saying that's not scalable. That's such a, that's not something. Not. Yeah. And it's I not. That. Now a little bit, maybe on the social media side. So yeah, Caroline, reputation. My, correct. You know, uh, doing the Facebook lives and so forth, but then what do we, how do we monetize that? Right. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a different discussion, but, but, uh, I would say not all of my businesses are blooming and, and blossoming. Sure. Sure. Um, but they're all businesses that, that I enjoy mm-hmm. and, uh, and, um, they at least fit me. Um, that's why I say if I'm not here, then I don't know what you know. Right. What, what's going to happen? But I, I I do think for at least the two maybe flagship businesses of a Stoner or an Eklund development, um, I think those are legacy businesses that can survive sure. next generations. Sure. That's fantastic. So we talk a little bit about delegation. So if I think of you kind of overseeing all these uh, these entrepreneurial uh, efforts. Delegation is a key, and you referred to people development. Do you have an approach when you find someone that you want to put in a leadership role? Like, what's your approach to developing people that you're then going to trust with aspects of your business? Right. So beyond being technically competent for the role, sure, uh, sure. They, they need to be culture fit. And we, we typically will hire culture over over uh, um, knowledge. Okay. You know, knowledge can be learned. Culture is tough to you know, you're either close to the culture or you're not. We it's find a religious conversion. It, if you're going to take a different culture, right. you're really making a big change. You do. Um, you either get it or you don't. We tend to hire slowly. Um, we tend, I mean, I think maybe a lot of companies hire smartly. Um, and we give people a broad uh, um, 
um, guidelines to work within. I mean, they, they, they know the business, they know what's important to us, not only morally, but operationally and, okay. and process. And then it's like, okay, we, we, we know you're competent. Uh, we trust you. Mm-hmm. We know you're a good culture fit. So, but, you know, go, go. You made a, you just made a comment. They know the business morally. Would you just expand on that a little bit? Well, I, 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 uh, we talked earlier about expanding the pie and how sometimes that's viewed negatively. And, and I think one of the most important things business can do first and foremost is to, is to expand the pie and, and make money. But you do that within a moral code. So I'm talking about good, honest, ethically run businesses that create a huge amount of value for society. I'm not talking about the ones we read about in the paper or, or you know, someone's trying to skim money illegally. Yeah. And um, and so you have uh, you kind of have a moral code and you hire for that moral code. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's part of your culture fit, actually. Sure. That's good. Let's talk for a moment about um, maybe your biggest challenge. We, you know, we talked a little earlier about some challenges. I asked you, you know, as far as like business, like have you had a failure or something? Right. But I'm thinking about the growth and success of Stoner. What's been the biggest challenge as you've gone through that process? Right. Uh, you, the biggest one. I don't know. I may think of it as I talk about some of the challenges. There was quite a quite a bit of challenge in transitioning to business once my grandfather passed away and dealing with my grandmother. I had 10 years of some, um, you know, it's just, it was just difficult. She, she, she at times didn't trust me. She at times, well, she th- always thought I was going to uh, run the business into bankruptcy. And uh, we just went round and round on a lot of things. And uh, it finally calmed down uh, in her, you know, maybe five years before she passed. But uh, uh, I was married and had one to two children at the time. And I told her many times, I'm like, look, if, if you don't back off or, or, or uh, trust me, you know, I'll, I'll sell it and move on. Yeah. I mean, it got down to that. Wow. So, uh, you know, a that, bit of a challenge. We, uh, we had a factory fire uh, back in the mid-80s that, um, you know, was, was a challenge. It, was, it didn't break our backs, but um, we had to recover from that. Okay. Um, oh, you know, I think beyond that, I would say most of our challenges has been in the normal course of doing business. Okay. Um, um, yeah. So it's interesting when you were referring to your grandmother, it, I would just in, I would infer from that that she maybe had a different approach to business than than your grandfather did. They maybe had different visions or approaches. Well, she did. She was very much you know she did she didn't like the growth. She wanted to control and contain everything, and she wanted to be able to move the money across the desk, and, and it was that sort of thing. That was kind of what she focused on. That, correct. Yeah, where it yeah. sounds like your grandfather was more of a people person. He was. And he yes. liked developing product. That's where his heart lie. Yes. And maybe as a team they helped each other because she's like I'll take care of them. The nickels and dimes, and you can do your thing. And yeah, it, it, it could be. She was, <laughs> she was a challenging, she sure. had a challenging personality. Sure. And I think it's, you know, that's one of the things that people maybe don't understand about family businesses. You, you know, families just forget business. Families can be a love hate. You know, I love my brother, but I'll kill him if he touches my tennis shoes, you know. and Very true. So. And, and very true. And I think for me, as I know myself, ending up with 100% of the business without siblings was, was, was worked out very well. Uh, got through some of the challenges with my, I have three sisters, got through some okay. of those challenges early on, but I think now it's all good. Um, I just recently have brought some family into the business and, um, you know, I'm, I'm learning, uh, sure. how, how that, how those dynamics work within a business. Sure. So, 
Um, that, that is a new dynamic for us. I've always been impressed when families figure out how to make it work. And me too. And, uh, my dad and I worked together when, you know, small business, but I worked for my father and I was a knucklehead. I was a teenager. And the funny thing is I think he and I were very alike. So he used to drive me crazy, you know, and I probably drove him crazy. Um, but you know, now I'll talk to folks like yourself or I'll talk to some other owners that maybe worked with their father, started the business. Now they run it. And it's really a, a blessing to hear, uh, I love my dad. It was so nice to work with. Like, it's really a special thing, but it's not a guarantee. You know, family's not. It's not. Yeah. It's, my wife always teases me, you know, how come, how come, uh, you know, we don't work together. I'm like, cause <laughs> I don't want to ruin our marriage. I, I don't know that I would be, you know, polite enough, very patient. Enough. I'm trying to get my work done. And, and I, the last thing I want to do is uh, step on our toes and not I, yeah. I, I sometimes think for our trans, transition, it was maybe easier to go from grandfather to grandson than maybe grandfather yeah, sure. to daughter or son-in-law. So I, I, I think that worked out well. Sure, Rob, also maybe in the same vein, but the other side of the coin, you know, what are you most proud of over the last handful of years with the business? I don't, you know, I, I am, I am, uh, I just had this uh, discussion yesterday. We we're debriefing with an outside consultant and he's like, you know, you guys really do. You don't maybe realize how well of a job you do. And I said, his name is Al. And I said, well, Al, I, I, we do if when we sit back and take pers- perspective, but we're all working in those trenches. So maybe we don't. I said, but when I travel and, and get to see other businesses, our size or maybe um, larger, it puts a smile on my face because we go to work every day with a pretty good, uh, pretty good um, focus and mission, and a pretty nice level of passion. Uh, and I'm talking from all 85 people, and we just get the job done. And um, um, we take a lot of comfort and pride in that. At the end of the day, we go home and we're with our families and, and um, um, enjoying some time off or vacations, whatever it is, and then we come back to work and uh, we we have built a pretty successful enterprise. So I'm proud of that. Hmm. That's a good thing to be proud of. And I think getting perspective helps. I, you know, I think any, any kind of competitor, I mean, probably any person in general, but anybody that's putting themselves out there, that's risking things, that's trying to build or create something, you're going to be your toughest critic. You know, you're going to look in the mirror and go, I could have done better here. I should have accomplished this. And we didn't win that. But when you take stock and look, you go, you know, they're actually doing pretty well. So that's right. That's, that's healthy. What, um, what's your vision for the future? You know, we're talking a little bit, you're bringing up uh, themes like transition and thinking about that a little bit. What's your vision uh, for the company? And you even said earlier, oh, I think I, I sometimes put you know, my goals are too big. Right. Right. Well, yeah. And that's, I mean, I'm going to be around for a while. Uh, um, so it may, you know, assuming I can maintain my health because I really enjoy what I do. And I do put big goals out there. We're trying to double the business every uh, five or every uh, five years. So that's about a 15% growth rate. And we're, we're doing that. Um, now we haven't, we've hit that in some years, but not consistently, but we have that broken down between half of that growth coming from acquisitions. Cause we do, um, we've done several acquisitions over the years. You mentioned Matzenbacher. That was an acquisition. Matzenbacher, which is a water-based stain lifting product. We really like, like that water-based. Takes graffiti chem- off walls, that type Correct. of thing. Okay. We really like that water-based chemistry. I did an international acquisition last year of a product called Little Joe, which is an uh, air freshener for your car. Clips I have onto had your one in my vent. car. Yeah. Yeah. Cute little guy. Um, so, so there's that 7 to 8% growth per year of acquisitions and 7 to 8% organic. 
organic's been more of the challenge sure. uh, for us lately in the past couple of years. But uh, but that's a that's a pretty tall order. So we do try to structure and organize around that. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it, 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 you'd be surprised what you can achieve when when you put some of those yeah. uh, those BHAGs, we call them out there. Big, hairy, audacious that's goal. Correct. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, yeah. That's, so it's a great see, language, I think. I want to see that continue for the business. And uh, I think at some point in the next 10 years, we might be looking at, uh, I don't know, maybe a second manufacturing facility. Couldn't tell you where. And or would we subcontract out some of the manufacturing? Okay. We're, we're very, like, not wanting to do that. Um for I'm not sure all the reasons. I I'm maybe a little more open-minded to that than some of the operational people are. But uh, uh, we have to be able to serve our customers in the best way possible, not only through our products mm-hmm. and our people, but then how we get product to them. And we sure. all know, you know, what Amazon's driving in terms of same-day deliveries. So eventually, we we would feel that as well. Yeah, I would imagine too. I mean, you mentioned earlier you've got the two sides of the business at Stoner. You've got the B2B side, the mold release products. Um, I can envision that sales uh, pipeline looking like, you know, there's some direct sales, distributor sales, rep sales. I kind of know what that looks like. On the other side, you've got the consumer. And I think so the B2B, I think, is a more stable. I mean, that world's changing like everything's changing. But the consumer side is just topsy turvy. Right. That is very topsy turvy. How do you balance that in the size organization you have? Because you have to be competent on both sides of the house. Yeah. That's tough. They're different sales. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, we not always well, uh, but but we understand some of the dynamics going on there. And and we'll we'll reach out to people that can help us figure that out in in the consumer world. So at the end of the end of the day in the consumer world, we're trying to build those brands in the mind of the end user. So while Walmart is a wonderful customer of ours, that's not who's using our product every day. Right. It's the per- people they sell to. So we're really trying to build the brand at, at that end game or the, where the product gets used. Sure. And how we get it there is what's changing. You know, what channel we get it through, whether it's a Walmart bricks and mortar channel or whether it's an Amazon e-com channel or whether it's our own e-com channel. So we're con- continuing to slice and dice our channels, but we're really trying to work hard to put the brand front out the front and, and build that promise. Hmm. And that's got to be a tough challenge. I think of uh, invisible glass, like a, a glass cleaner, you know, you're up against an SC Johnson which, you know, the, oh, yeah. we, we won't say the name of the brand, oh, yeah. right? But there's an 800-pound gorilla. So you're a challenger right. brand in that market. Oh, and they, they throw and you've got to punch above your weight. They throw their 800 pounds around every now and then. I'm too. sure they do. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. they do. But it sounds like on the other side of it, you really carved out a real great niche in the consumer market. You're the leading brand, I think, I want to say, in the automotive market. The we are. Glass for glass cleaner. cleaning, yeah. That's impressive. We are. And, uh, and I think the niche is important because we really try to be in in these different niches or niches, whether it's release agents or the glass cleaner or some of our car care products, where we've gotten maybe stubbed our toes is when we try to scale that more to the mass. Okay. Um, I'd like to see some of these products be more offered to the mass, but I think we're more successful. You mean like in the household side, we're just more of a generic kind of, yeah. Correct. I mean, we have these core group of users on the household side that just love invisible glass. And we kind of know the behavioral profile that person why do they love it why are they so uh rabidly i'll use that word like devoted to the product what is it about invisible glass they 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 like they like their neat clean uh, space in their home and invisible glass is is now there we really like to compare to sc johnson with our product is is uh, a product that you can 
clean your glass with and look out through there and like, wow, you know, you will see a difference. Yeah. And people that, that realize that and enjoy that are, you know, fans of ours. Now, how we get to that group has been the challenge. Communicating. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like your product works better. It does work. better. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Rob, as we're, uh, as we're wrapping up here, um, I'm just, I'm just curious about, you know, some earlier comments about your people and growing the business and the pie. You know, you talked about some of the things that you're proud of, the, the type of business that you built. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, if there is one thing you want to be able to look back at the business and say, I'm really glad, you know, whether it's the, the revenue that you create, the size you get to, what's the one thing that you want to be able to look back at and, and put a pin in it and say, I'm really grateful for that? I think, I think a, a continuous, successful business that, that, that can continue to contribute to all the the people that choose to touch it, whether it's uh, whether it's a, a direct employee, a team member, whether you're a vendor, whether you're a customer, whether you're a community, um, I would just like to see that you know those. I would just like to see that pie keep growing yeah. and, and contributing. I mean, it, it contributes contrib- contributes well beyond our W twos every year, right? My guest today has been Rob Eklund, Jr. He is the president and owner of Stoner Incorporated. Rob, thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome, Mike. I enjoyed it. I love, I love talking about these topics, as you can maybe tell. Oh, it absolutely shows. And, and, I, and I love hearing you talk about it. It's great to hear your, hear your heart and your mind on these matters. Guys, if you haven't done it already, please check out Rob's company. Specifically, go look at their product, Invisible Glass. We were just talking about that a moment ago. Just go to InvisibleGlass.com. I think you can even order online. I think they sell on Amazon. You can go into uh, some of your local retailers and grab a bottle there as well. But check it out. Really nice uh, website, and you can learn more about the company. There's also some links there to their Instagram and social media accounts and etc. So check out invisibleglass.com. And if you haven't done so already, and you're listening this far into the ep- the episode, you need to subscribe to this podcast. Uh, I talk to great people like Rob Eklund on a weekly basis. We talk about private industry. We hear their stories. You can go to Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, anywhere the fine podcasts are provided. Hit that subscribe button and this will be delivered to you hot and fresh every week. Guys, I love you all and I'll catch you in the next episode.